Find Out Higgins, thank you for listening to Your Working Life, my podcast series featuring thought leaders in the career and personal growth arena. You spend a significant portion of your life at work, so my goal is to provide you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. And I am delighted to welcome back my very special guest to the show, Chris Voss. Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Caroline. Absolute pleasure to be back. Oh, I'm so excited. We had such a great conversation last time, and I want to remind our audience, you are the CEO of the Black Swan Group and the author of the newly released Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. And I am holding this book in my hand, my dear, and I am so excited to share this amazing resource. But I also want the listeners to know that you are a 24-year veteran of the FBI, retired as their lead international kidnapping negotiator. And your company specializes in solving business communication problems with hostage negotiation solutions. In addition to the FBI, your expertise draws from Harvard's program on negotiation, Scotland Yard, and the Kellogg School of Business. So, Chris, the last time we spoke, this book was in the pipeline. It is now officially out, and I'd love to get your take. What prompted you to write the book? Well, my whole time as a hostage negotiator, I knew how effective these skills were, and I just was using them in my with my coworkers and negotiations with colleagues uh, in my personal life, and I was using it successfully, and or then learning how to how to do them better. You know, how to adapt yeah. them for business and personal life. So I, I knew all along it was there, and as soon as I left the bureau, I wanted to take this out into the business world. So let's, let's just talk shop. What are the principles and maybe pieces of advice or wisdom that are the most surprising to your students, because you are teaching, and also to your clients? What was unexpected? Caroline, I'm sorry. I lost all but the last couple words of that question. Okay, no problem. Tell me about what was most surprising when you started teaching negotiation to clients and also to students. Well, you know, the the most surprising thing for everybody really is uh, that we're not trying to get people to say yes. Mm. Uh, There's a lot more important things to get from someone in a conversation to let you know that you've really connected and you really understand each other. And, and sort of the first one that's really the most surprising for the people that I teach us to is stop trying to get people to try to say yes. Stop wow. making people say yes. Wow. And that seems so counterintuitive, but I, I get it now after reading the book. It makes perfect sense. So is there one single thing a great negotiator does? Well, a great negotiator really lets the conversation come to them. Okay. Um, they they get involved in a conversation. They turn a negotiation into a conversation. They listen very carefully, and then they help the other person bring the deal to them. Really, the best deal is the deal that uh, that the other person brought to you in the conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's talk about soft skills and emotional intelligence. You believe these are really important in hard negotiations. Why? Why is that? Well, you know, uh, we make decisions based on what we value, and we value what we care about. So that kind of makes decision-making, by definition, an emotional process, because we're going to make up our mind based on what we care about, what we, what we feel strong emotions about. So as soon as you factor that into the equation, and instead of trying to eliminate it, if you recognize it and take advantage of it, then it completely changes the game, and you get great deals. 
So, Chris, let me ask, is being an active listener an important part of negotiating? Well, yeah, you know, active listening is kind of an overused phrase. Okay. And I would say that we, the, the phrase that we're using in the book, uh, it's really tactical listening ah. or uh, even tactical empathy because I, I teach people what to look for in advance, you know, what sorts of things are pitfalls and negative emotions that you want to diminish, the positive emotions you want to then it changes it into, you know, a very tactical approach. So are there, are there body language uh, signs as well? And I, and I get it. You don't always have the luxury of, of being able to see someone in a negotiation. Well, it, body language, tone of voice are, are very much intertwined. The interesting thing is, you know, in reading someone's body language, you can't really uh, flip a switch in their brain and make a change about how they feel uh, something just based on your body language. Interestingly enough, if you know what you're doing with your voice, we all have something called mirror neurons, yeah. and you can actually reach into somebody's brain and flip a switch, and interestingly enough, what you want to do is you want to put them in a positive frame of mind for two reasons. Number one, um, everybody's brain works about 31% more effectively. In a so what you do when you put your counterpart into a positive frame of mind, not only do they like you for it, but if they like you, they're more likely to work harder and think of better ways for you two to make a great deal. Wow, wow. So, Chris, what was the time or the moment when you realized that there were really parallels in your hostage negotiation experience in the business world? Well, yeah, that's a great question. It really happened when I went through Harvard Law School's negotiation course because I was, I was still on duty as, as an FBI agent. I'm the only FBI hostage negotiator to ever go through that course, and I went through as a student, and I later taught there. But when I went through as a student, I, you know, I went up there and I took my kidnap bargaining skills and my hostage negotiation empathy skills, and I figured that somehow there was some kind of a difference. And it just wasn't the same, but I applied everything that I did, and I, and I really kind of skinned the Harvard Law School students in, in the deals. I was really kind of getting the upper hand almost every time. And I can remember it, was all, it wasn't until the entire end of the training that I asked a question in one of the outbreaks, and it occurred to me that we were doing exactly the same things. It's just that my stakes were different, but all my strategies were, were still the same. And that was really kind of when I had the epiphany that this uh, approach was perfect for the business world. Oh, that's great. So let's dive in. Tell me a few of the top strategies in negotiating that, that you illustrate so beautifully in the book. Well, you know, the first one is uh, stop trying to corner people by getting them to say yes. You know, there's actually there's three kinds of yeses. There's commitment, there's confirmation, and there's counterfeit. And people are so used to being cornered by yes that they get very good at giving the counterfeit yeses. So once you sort of eliminate the idea of trying to get somebody to say yes entirely, that actually makes people much more at ease and far less defensive and more willing to work with you. Then uh, so that begs the question, what do you want somebody to say instead of yes? To right, know yeah, the right what's, the, what's the next best thing? And so, well, actually, the best, the best answer you can get anybody to say to you is that's right. Okay. And we, we make a real clear distinction between that's right and you're right. Because actually, if somebody says you're right to you, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You're right is what we tend to say to people when we want them to shut up and leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. but that right is an affirmation, a validation without being condescending. 
You know, exactly. That's exactly it. That's right. <laughs> wow. Wow. So any other strategies besides not getting them to say yes and, and going to that's right? Well, you know, the other, the other thing that we do that's kind of fun that nobody else is talking about is actually intentionally getting people to say no. Okay. And building building um, an agreement out of the other person saying no, and in many cases it's it's sort of like sculpting an agreement. And, and a sculptor builds a beautiful statue by getting rid of what doesn't work. And so you can take the same idea with no and start getting rid of what's not going to work in the agreement, and suddenly you're left with a great agreement. And the other nice thing about saying no is. People don't feel cornered when they say no. They actually feel sort of protected and liberated. I mean, uh, anybody can apply the time when, uh, if your teenager comes up to you with a, with seventeen, before he even finished a sentence and asked what he wanted to ask, the word no would be coming out of my mouth. I didn't even have to hear what he wanted. I'm already saying no. But I also found that as soon as I did that, the moment that I said no, having sort of stopped whatever problem there might be and protected myself, I would suddenly be open to hear what, what he actually wanted. Right. And I'd say, all right, so and now tell me again what you're after. And I'd, I'd be more interested in hearing him out. So we just take that same dynamic and put it in business. Wow. Wow. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask, what is a black swan? A black swan is something that was seemingly innocuous that ended up making all the difference in the world. Uh, it's the impact of the highly improbable. Okay. And it was a great book from back in 2007 that really, really uh, outlined this idea. And, and that book was based on the, the concept of the first time anyone ever saw a black swan was in Australia, I think in the 1600s. Wow. Because everybody, you know, nobody had ever seen a black swan before. So it's the idea the little little tiny little things in a in a communication, the little things in negotiation that you can do make a huge difference. So those little subtleties. So I know that you've detailed some of them in the book. Would you give us a hint about one or two to whet the appetite of the reader? Well, you know, um, a big one is that I found out in, in kidnapping that things didn't turn out that well. That um, the deal killers are as important in a negotiation process as the decision makers or the deal makers are. And every every negotiation, there are deal, deal killers on the other side that are actually staying out of it, either accidentally or on purpose, but are, are going to destroy your deal if they get the chance. You know, we had a, um, a another colleague that was doing training online was telling us that they dealt with one of the major corporate carriers um, for telecommunications, you know, a carrier such as Verizon or such as AT&T or T-Mobile, you know, it was one of those. I won't say which one. But they said their feedback was that the vast majority of their deals that don't go through are not because they didn't get in. Company, those deals were killed internally by people who are actually annoyed that they weren't consult consulted when the deal was made. And so actually, you know, everybody wants to focus in business negotiation or who are the decision makers. Who's the decision maker? Get past the blocker. Find the decision makers. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, who you really need to find out about are who the deal killers are. And you need to get them involved early on so they don't kill your deal. So you've really got to earn their, uh, their trust and get them on your side as an ally before you get to the decision makers. 
Yeah, you get them on uh, your side as an ally. And actually what you start to do early on is you get buy-in. Many, many of the deal killers are only going to kill the deal because they weren't consulted. They weren't yeah. involved. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to have the answer. They just want to be involved. And knowing that your deal killers, if you can get them involved in a process, it's going to save you maybe seven times the amount of time in renegotiation on down the line. They're always worth the time and effort. So let's let's take this into a very specific example. So chapter nine is called Bargain Hard, How to Get Your Price. And, you know, a hot topic right now is uh, salary negotiation. So any tips for bargaining hard in a salary negotiation? I realize that might be small potatoes by comparison to some of the amazing negotiation you did, but it is relatable on some level. Well, you know, one of the real interesting uh, big advantages is to, to focus on non-salary terms mm. And, and and to push as gently and politely as possible and pleasantly as possible. First of all, you will really build your career based on your non-salary terms. Yeah. Your salary is only going to pay your bills. Your salary is going to pay your mortgage. But your salary is not going to build your career. So you build your career on the non-salary terms. And even the amount of vacation days that you're going to get. What also happens is while you push very gently and politely and persistently on these terms, anything that they can't give you, in many cases, if they'll counter, they'll counter with a higher salary. I had, uh, I had one student in my class, charming young lady. Uh, she was an MBA student and she'd grown up in France and she believed, she felt she was a French citizen even though she was American born and lived in the United States. So she's in a job negotiation, and she was absolutely delightful, and she wanted two weeks of vacation the first year instead of one week, and just as pleasantly and as sweetly as possible, her only explanation for this was she kept telling her employer, I'm French. <laughs> right. This is our expectation. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're French, you want more vacation. Now, she didn't have any outside criteria. There was no market value. There were no mark. There was no market data. She just wanted it because she wanted it, mm -hmm. and she was so sweet and so persistent and so much fun to deal with in a negotiation that instead of giving her more vacation, they gave her a higher salary. Wow! Wow! Fascinating! Fascinating! So, Chris, if there's one thing that you want this book to accomplish for the reader, what do you want that to be? You know, I want people to have better lives. I want yeah. them to have better relationships with. All of the people around them, whether they be close co-workers or whether they be family, I want their family members to feel like that they are understood, and and then I want them to make more money, and I want them to be ridiculously successful. I love it. And you know, this does translate into our personal lives as well, how we communicate, how we negotiate with our loved ones, not just our colleagues. Yeah, you know, because the people around you want to be understood by you. You know, your loved ones and your family members, they want to know that you understand them. And in many cases, that may be all they want. They may not want you to agree with everything they say. They just want to know you understand. It, that has a tendency to make better relationships. Absolutely. Chris Foss, what a joy to have you on the show again. Your book is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on Us. Depended on it. Pardon me. So tell us how we can buy the book. Well, um, you can order it online at Amazon. You can go to my website, uh, blackswanltd.com. We've got links to buy it there. 
you should be able to buy it in almost any one of your local bookstores. You know, there's some phenomenal bookstores. The brick-and-mortar stores are still in existence. I got to tell you, I love Barnes & Noble. And if they don't have it, ask them to order it, and I'll come in and autograph it for Excellent. You. Excellent. Chris, I wish you such great success. A joy to have you on. I always learn so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Caroline. You're an absolute pleasure to talk with. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Your Working Life, where my goal is to help you design your career destiny so it doesn't happen by default. Career and life satisfaction is possible, and it's time to embrace what you love doing so you can do more of it. My show is now available on iTunes, YouTube, Podbean, and Stitcher. Hey, leave a comment, as I always appreciate hearing from my listeners. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Take good care.